if I would ask the question, how many of you are forgetful? Let's just do it, okay? Let's just be honest from the get-go, right? Have you ever said, I will not forget this? And then you forgot that? He'd, oh, it's, it's that uh, forgetfulness. I remember being in England, and I'd only been away from Calvary Chapel Vista for about a year. And coming back and looking at people that I had known for 13 years and not being able to remember their names. And some of them were really, really good friends. And I was thinking, Cheryl, you know, what is wrong with you? You know, I knew that they had a golden retriever. I knew that they had three children. I knew where they lived, but their names. And I knew them really well. My dad used to love to tell the joke about um, the two older men that were talking. And the one says, oh, oh, you know, uh, what's, what's the name of that product I love? What is the name of that product? And so he says to the, the man with him, he says, you know, uh, what's that flower called with all the petals? And the guy's going, oh, hydrangea? You know, no, chrysanthemum, no. Rose? Yes, Rose. Just a second. Rose, honey, what's the name of that product I love to use? That's just so how we are. We forget birthdays, even our own. We forget anniversaries. My daughter said, oh, mom, are you calling me because it's my anniversary? That was November 1st. I was like, yeah. (laughs) And then, you know, I was looking at an Instagram October 30th and went, it's my son-in-law's birthday. I want to remember these things. But I can't even remember what day of the week it is. I'm always like, okay, because I do um, streams in the desert, right? I'm like, wait, what day is it? It's like, I just read yesterday's, look at that one. Then you'll know what today is. But we forget. We forget appointments. We forget phone numbers. Especially, doesn't seem like everything is a phone number or a code. I mean, because we can do speed dial now on these cell phones, that when we don't have those phones and you're stuck with like, I don't know, something so archaic as a rotary phone. And they're saying, you can use this phone because your battery's dead. And you're like, right, but what is the number? Because we don't know. Because we just do speed dial. We just, you know, do their name. But then all those numbers and codes, do you forget like, okay, what is my secret password for Amazon? Okay, and what is my secret code word for Macy's? And what is my secret code for getting on my computer? And what is my Apple ID? You know, I'm one of those people, I always just go, forgot my password, forgot my password. So unfortunately, my password is forever changing because I cannot remember. I've, I've put in grandchildren, which they tell you don't put in your grandchildren. Because somebody else will know who your grandchildren are and you'll forget. So, you know, I'm like, which grandchild did I put in? You know, and they're like, you know what? You've tried it four times and you can't get it right. You're not that person you say you are. I know a thief, you know, and you're like, no, this really is me. And then we have our PIN numbers for our um, debit cards. And there's so many numbers. Plus, I have a social security number that everybody at once, right? Brian has a social security number, and then they ask for your driver's license number, right? 
Or what about this one just threw me? I put in my debit card at the gas station. And you know what? I'm just expecting to do my pin. But you know what? They asked for my zip code. And all of a sudden, I was so thrown by that. Like, zip code, zip code. What is my zip code? Because you know how you get your expectation? Like, I know this one. And then they ask something totally different. And you're like, I know I have a zip code. I know where I live. We forget places. We forget past events. Your kids, my kids are like, mom, remember when this, you know, you know, and I'm like, are you sure it was me? You're my mother. It was you. I don't know. You know, your aunts can kind of look like me. So are you sure it wasn't one of your dad's sisters? Mom, it was you. It was you. Okay. Tell me again what happened. And I was there, right? And then Brian's always going, Cheryl, you know this couple. I'm like, I don't know that couple. Yes, you do. Don't you remember in 1983? And I was like, wait, I was born in 1983? Yes. We forget to put gas in the car. I'm only saying that because it happened to me yesterday and it says reserve fuel. And you know, I saw that it said reserve fuel and yet I forgot to get it. It's in the car and I said, Brian, you might have an interesting weekend because the car really needs gas. We forget a vital step in the process. Have you ever, um, maybe it's sewing and you forgot this vital step and you went, oh no, I forgot to do this. Or a recipe. You know how there's some recipes like sift the flour three times and you forget to sift and you just throw it in. Or have you ever done this? Thrown all the ingredients in and gone, oh, I forgot I was supposed to add it one at a time. I mean, I have. Maybe you're better than me. That's fine. Do you ever forget why you went into a different room of your house? I know it's not just age because I've been doing this since I was two. Just like, why am I here? Did I want something of mommy? Maybe daddy, the dog. I seriously, I, I will go upstairs and I will go upstairs and I'm just, you know, I'm trucking it upstairs. And then I'm like, yes, this is my upstairs. <laughs> and I definitely had something very important in mind. And you know what's really sad? I know I'm not going to remember that thing till I go back downstairs. And then you have to think, this is how I exercise. I just forget things, you know? Or you ever forget why you even just like stood up out of the chair? That one happens to me. Like, I stood up. I definitely had a purpose in this. Why do we forget? Why do we forget? Because life presses in on us. Because there's too many things to remember. There are too many passwords. There are too many codes. There are too many number sequences. You don't, now they even want you to put your, your license plate number in just to park your car at Balboa. It's like, my license plate? I put it in my phone under notes, like what my license plate is. Because sometimes my car is blocked or, you know, you're going over there and you're like, okay, my license plate. And you're trying to remember it, but somebody got mine in front of you. And by it's your time to, to pay the money and, you know, put in the little pay to play, pay to park. By the time it's your, you can't remember what it was. So now you go back to look at it again. And now somebody else has gotten in line and now you're three back and and I'm even trying to do, you know, 
would Xanax work? Would Xanax work? You know, WXW. You know, I'm trying to think of these clever sentences. And then I do something like, would Percocet work? And then I've got the wrong thing. I don't even do these drugs, but I'm just trying to figure out how I'm going to remember my license plate number. It's because life presses in on us. And these things come that were unexpected. Like I told you, they ask you for your zip code and not your PIN number. There's so much to do constantly. There's, I make to-do lists all the time just for like the next hour of my life. I need to remember this. I need to remember that. I need to do this and to do that. And then I'm just going to tell you the truth. Barnabas, my precious golden doodle. We just discovered why he's not eating his food. He likes his dish clean. What kind of dog is this? Brain says, I don't think he's eating his food because his dish is dirty. I'm like, well, whose responsibility is that? He said, well, who wanted the dog? So I washed, I, I, I actually washed his dish out so Brian would see that that's not the cause. And then put the can of dog food in there. The dog ate it all. And Brian goes, I told you, he does not like a dirty dish. That's all I need. One more responsibility. Now I have to brush his teeth. I just went to the vet the other day. They're like, are you brushing your dog's teeth? I'm like, when did this start with dogs? Since when do you have to do dog's teeth? And she goes, oh, don't worry. We have flavored toothpaste that they're going to like. You can do peanut butter or chicken. And I'm like, chicken flavored toothpaste? You know, so I'm in PetSmart buying a toothbrush for my dog. And then she's like, you are washing out his ears. Washing, washing out his ears, brushing his teeth and cleaning his bowl? No wonder Brian wanted me to think before buying a dog. But now that we love him and he's our friend, it's like, come here, guy. You want peanut butter or chicken flavored today? And you know, you have to do it after he eats his food in the clean bowl. There's so much to do constantly. There are interruptions, constant interruptions to our lives. I have to say this, forgive me, but I just saw this comic that cracked me up and it says, why do Jehovah Witnesses not celebrate Halloween? Because they don't like random people coming to their door. (laughs) But there are those interruptions. Those unexpected interruptions, somebody at the door, um, your husband says, did I tell you I invited five people to dinner? No. Responsibilities, all those things that we have to do every single day, like laundry and dishes and sweeping. And then there are distractions, constant distractions, like fun things that are distractions, just distractions. Today, Brian was driving me to the church and we're looking and we're like, that is the slowest moving airplane we have ever seen. Only to realize it's a blimp. But you know, that was a distraction. I'm like, Brian, the car in front of us isn't moving. Don't you move. It was a distraction. And 
I think about Thanksgiving. Here it is, this day of remembrance, right? This day of reflection and remembrance. Well, three years ago on Thanksgiving, my grandson asked if we could play hide and go seek. And I was so busy with everything. I said, yes. And so I played a little bit. And then all these distractions came. 30 minutes later, somebody was getting a chair out of my hall closet. And they said, Ryder, what are you doing in here? And I was like... I forgot my own grandson and that I was playing hide and go seek. He was in that closet for 30 minutes, bless his heart, just knowing grandma couldn't find him. He won. He totally won. But what happens when we forget? Well, there's loss, right? Sometimes you lose a grandchild. There's the loss of items. How many items have you lost somewhere in the confines of your house? I mean, you know, like, I know those shoes are somewhere in this house. I I know, I know that pot is somewhere in this kitchen. I know it's here. Or you, loss of time. You, you lose time, precious time, because you can't remember something. Time that maybe, you know, your friend just stopped in for that hour and you forgot and you never got that chance to meet. You miss time, you miss people, you miss memories, you, you lose friends. And then what else happens? We have a lack of faith. When we start forgetting, we begin to distrust the Lord because we don't remember all his past faithfulness. We don't remember all his past goodness. We don't remember that we were in a situation just like this and God came through. So we get insecurities. We all of a sudden feel burdened and we feel like the responsibility is us and it's up to us to get it done because we don't remember how God came through. We tend to blame others and put heavy expectation on others to come through for us because we forget that the Lord is the one in charge. We even become manipulative. We call our oldest daughter to lecture our younger daughter and to pretend that it's her and not coming straight from mom. We place our faith in the wrong places, the wrong people, and the wrong things. It's a lack of trust, lack of faith. Then we have limited progress. You know, you can only do so much when you forget one of the ingredients to cheesecake. You know, like if you forget the cream cheese, you might be able to do the graham cracker crust and you can get a lot that you can't finish the cheesecake or the sour cream topping. Now, I'm not talking from experience just because this happened to me this week, twice, twice. You would think the second time I'm making the cheesecake, I'd remember every ingredient at the market. It was even on my list. How did I omit it? And so what did it do? It limited my progress in that cheesecake. It limited. I had to go back to the market and get that ingredient and do it again. It limits our progress so that we don't get to the place we want to on time. And you can't do what you were hoping to do. God knows how important it is to our spiritual welfare that we remember his works and his character. There are over 15 admonitions in the Psalms and in the Pentateuch to not forget 
the Lord and his works. Do not forget. Eight times the Bible reminds us of the long-term consequences of forgetting the Lord. It says they soon forgot his work. And they begin to serve the asterisks and the bales. They begin to look to other things to get them through life, to give them progress, to give them prosperity because they forgot the Lord. So what do you do to remember? What do people do to remember? We make lists, right? Or we tie strings around our fingers. I've never done that. I think I cut off the circulation like, you should remember this, it better hurt. But you know, people do things like that uh, to remember. Kathy Gilbert told me that she actually puts her keys in the refrigerator or the freezer with the items she needs to remember. And her father says, Kathy, did you realize your car keys are in the refrigerator? Her dad's all worried about Kathy getting Alzheimer's. Like, and she's like, yeah, dad, that's so I won't forget the creamer for my coffee at work. And he's like, oh, thank God. You know, often um, we repeat, we repeat these things to ourselves. You know, what I need to do, I'm going to buy milk, eggs, and butter, milk, eggs, butter, milk, eggs, butter. I always give Brian a little thing, you know, like, um, you know, I, I say M-E-B, make every Beulah. You know, I just try to think of something and, you know, Brian's like, make every Beulah? Yeah, I don't know what it means any, either, but it means milk, eggs, butter. Don't forget. You know, I, I do those things where we text. We text ourselves. Do you ever send text to yourself? I do. It's the condition of my life. Or you put it to music. I know of one girl who couldn't um, or was struggling to memorize the chemistry table for a college class, and so she put it to music, and she was able to remember it. That's what I um, did. I remember um, when I needed to learn the Constitution, I, I learned it to music. God wants us to remember when Jesus instituted the new covenant in Luke twenty two nineteen, he said, do this, repeat this activity, do it again and again, do this, do this in remembrance of me. Forever believers are to commemorate and remember the great work Jesus did for us as our savior, our salvation, and our sanctification. He gave us a visual he, he held up the bread, and he said, whenever you see bread, I want you to think of my body that was broken for you, and I want you to take, and I want you to ingest it so you understand that you have to be a partaker in my death in order to have life. I want you to understand that you are taking with others from the same loaf so that you realize that one life for all believers is what suffice the wrath of God. And then he took the wine. And he says, as often as you drink this cup, I want you to remember my blood that was shed for you and the new covenant, the, the agreement you have with God in my name. I want you to see this bread and this wine and know you are covered. You are covered. Your sins are forgiven. And he, so he gave us the visual reminder, the ritual of physical 
reminder, something to do that we might remember. He gave us an auditory reminder that we were to repeat the story of the cross. And so when we come together on the first Wednesday of the month, what do we do? We repeat the story. We look at the bread in the cup and we hold it and we ingest it together. It was a musical reminder. We're told that they sang a hymn after this covenant was established. They sang a hymn. And so in song, we remember the work and the love of our Savior. We need these constant reminders. Again, lest we suffer spiritual loss, lack faith, or become limited in our spiritual progress. Remembering memorializing gives us a sense of identity and purpose. It reminds us of who we are and our history with God, our experience with God. It strengthens our faith because we remember what God got us through that. He will get us through this. He's never failed at It ensures our spiritual progress. It guarantees that we will go forward and we will make it. Think about what it must have been to be one of these Israelites that we read about in Joshua chapter 4. Your ancestors had all died in the wilderness. So in a sense, part of your identity had been lost. You know, you kind of know who you are because of your mom, your dad, your uncles, your cousins. They remind you of who you are. You know, Brian's sisters will come over, especially one of his sisters. And Kelsey, my youngest daughter, will start saying something. And Brian's sister will be like, that's because you're a Brodersen. All of us Brodersons did that. We Brodersons are known for that. That's just the Brodersons. And Kelsey's like, okay, yeah, I'm a Brodersen. Now I know. And it gives her a sense of identity and security. Now think about this too. They're a nomadic people. So they don't have a family home. That's our family home. They don't have a family land or a land that, you know, used to be the family. And they could say, we used to own that or that's where you came from. 40 years of nomadic living through the wilderness. Life was full of busyness. At this point, they're still gathering manna every morning from Sunday to Friday. I've just been reading this book, um, Women in Bible Times. It's fascinating. And in it, it said that the bread preparation, and probably with the manna, would take a woman an average of three hours. And the bread was always fresh every day. So three hours a day was dedicated for the woman to just making the bread, grinding it, uh, kneading it, baking it, just for the bread. But remember this too, the women also had to gather the water every day. I mean, we take plumbing for granted. And these women had to get those big old jars. You know, somebody was saying, how could those men lift those stones? Well, how could those women lift those 120 pound jars of water? to bring to their family. And that's if you had a small family. But those jars of water that they would fill and they would lift and carry to their tent. And then they would go back and get more water and fill it and lift it and feed the animals, water the animals. Think about it. 
then because they're nomads and they have these tents and, and they brought out some of their items out of Egypt that have been in the family for years, there was the constant packing and unpacking of camp. If you think suitcases are difficult and going to a women's retreat is difficult because of the packing, think about what it is to pack up not only you know your items, your rugs, your um, makeup, your clothes, but also your home itself, the tent, the, the tent pegs that you need to remember, the, the badger skins, the goat skins, and all of these things that you have to pack up, move, and then set up all over again and lay down your rugs, your couches, your beds. And then there's all the incidentals. Besides the packing and unpacking, there are the pots, the pans, the toiletries. Interestingly enough, years ago in the British Museum, they had a display of all the items that they had found in the Sinai Desert when they decided to track, these archaeologists decided to uh, replicate the track that they felt like the Israelites must have traveled through the Sinai. And there they found this place that looked like a, a camp had been set up. And they could tell by the way there was um, these stairs. And the stairs matched how the stairs would have been for the tabernacle um, foundation. And when they were excavating in this area, they found a metal box that dated back to the Exodus. It was a woman's box. And as they opened it up, they found these hair combs. They found tweezers, which, you know, no unibrows among the Israelite women. <laughs> and they found um, jewelry in this box, and they found a bronze mirror, which is so interesting because we're told in Exodus that these serving women gave up their bronze mirrors that the uh, Bezalel and those building the tabernacle could make a bronze laver for the priests to wash their hands in. And it was found there. So, I mean, you had your little toiletry box that you wanted to remember. And I think that poor husband who forgot his wife's toiletry box, because you know, there's no place to purchase something like that again. And you know, I brought those cones out of Egypt. I know you lost it. It's not here. It's somewhere among the tent and the things that we've got. Oh, no, it's not. You know, I, I'm just saying. Just saying. And, and besides this, there's children running all around, right? There's children that you're trying to keep track of. And I don't know about you, but I have a theory that every family has one elusive child, one escapist, one Houdini per family. And my Houdini was my son, Char. He used to love to escape every time I was at the market because he loved to hear his name on the loudspeaker. <laughs> Will the mother of Charlo Broderson please come to the front? I, I could not go to the market without him escaping, wriggling his hand out. I turned to get a can of green beans and he was gone. And pretty soon, within three minutes, will the mother of Charlo Broderson please come to, you know, check stand number five. Everyone's got one. My little Houdini. 
But you know what? I'm okay. Because Jesus did that to Joseph and Mary. I mean, think about it. With the packing and unpacking and visiting Jerusalem at the Passover, we're told in Luke 1 that they forgot Jesus. That they left Jesus at the temple. And it wasn't until they were three days out of Jerusalem that Mary's like, Joseph, where's Jesus? And Joseph's like, "Uh, Mary, last time I saw him, he was with you. No, 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 no. He was definitely with you. No, he was with you. And they had to return to find Jesus. And I love it when Mary says, you know, where have you been? Your father and I have been searching for you. And it's almost as if Jesus says, "Uh, excuse me, who lost who? I haven't moved. I'm still exactly where I'm supposed to be. Who left Jerusalem without me? Just saying. Distractions. Mary and Joseph had those same distractions. And then there's the distraction of crossing rivers, seeing enemy fortresses, and new land that they had never seen before. And in this environment of hardship, busyness, distraction, it would be very easy to forget the great things God had done because you could be so focused on what you need to do next, the next step, the next thing that needed to be done. And you could forget how powerful your God was and how he was going before you. Here in Joshua 4, we read that God had already commanded Joshua to have each of the tribes select a man. That was chapter 3. Now these men who have been selected from each tribe are to approach near the Ark of the Covenant and collect one stone. And they're to collect it from where the priests stood on dry ground, from the very midst of the Jordan River bed. And each stone will represent a tribe of Israel. Now the men were to take these stones and they were to carry them to the camp of Gilgal. Now remember, these men were strong. They had been reared and raised in the wilderness. They didn't have office jobs. Their jobs had to do, as we said before, with with heaving poles and tents and carrying and moving and setting up. They were like construction workers. They were strong. And they, they took these large stones, and maybe there was even a competition. Hey, how much that thing weigh? Oh, I got a, I got a, I got a big one here, really? Oh, mine's pretty big. This is for the tribe of Manasseh. Really? Well, we'll just see. I'm going to go get one for Gad. You know? Really, that's Gad's? Have you seen Judah's? You know, these are men. Men are competitive. It's their nature. And there they're going like, hey, how big's your stone, huh? Yeah. <laughs> None of them were like, it's my stone. This is my tribe. No, they were like, how much you bench pressing? You know, what are you doing? That's what it was. Now, after this was done, Joshua himself took 12 stones from outside the Jordan and put them inside the Jordan. Now, I don't know how he compiled them, 
I don't know whether he made a tower or whether he made stepping stones so that others could continue to cross over into Israel. I don't know. It would be interesting to find out. And we're not told the configuration, but we're told that there were 12 stones. So Joshua took what was from without and put it within. And these men took from what was within the Jordan and took them without. And they took them so far away, eight miles, to the camp that they set up at Gilgal. Now, I want you to remember, in Numbers, it tells us that Moses assigned each of the tribes of Israel a place where they were to camp so that the camp of Israel looked like a cross with the tabernacle in the middle. That was how the camping arrangement was, was like a cross. Now, no doubt, however those stones were erected, they were erected where everyone could see them, where they were visual. Now, I think it was in such a classic arrangement, something that would elicit curiosity. So everybody say like, what is with that? You know, maybe they were piled but maybe they said like J for Judah. Maybe they were in a certain shape. Maybe they were in the shape of a cross. Maybe it was a foreshadowing of what God would do. We're not told the shape, but we're told that it was something, some type of shape that would elicit curiosity from children. Don't you love that? It would elicit curiosity from children. When I used to teach Sunday school, I would always come with a box. And inside the box, there were goodies. But I'd just hold it on my lap. And the kids would say, you know, teacher, because that's what they call you, because they can't remember your name. You know, teacher, what, what's in the box? What box? The box on your lap. I have a box on my lap. Teacher. Oh, this box. Well, in this box... I have special gifts from those who listen to the Bible study, cooperate and sing silly songs with Cheryl and do their craft and, and just are all around with a great attitude. But I did that to elicit curiosity. I would sometimes bring a visual in for the kids just to ask about, like, you know, what is that? So the shape elicits the curiosity of children. Don't we have a wonderful God that knows the imagination of children? He's not put off by it, but he brings it out to its fullness. So each of these stones would represent a certain tribe. All the stones were taken out placed in the Jordan, and all the people had crossed over. I love it how it says, the priest stood still and the people hurried across. Isn't that, I, I don't know why, but I just like it. And including the 40,000 men who were armed from half the tribe of Manasseh, Gad, and Reuben. The priests were ordered to step out of the Jordan, carrying the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders, verses 10 through 16. And as soon as the priests bearing the Ark stepped onto the bank of the Jordan River, the waters came cascading down from Adam, and the river was filled again to its original fullness over a mile wide. And this all happened on the 10th day of the first month. And they set up these stones 
right in viewing distance of the fortress of Jericho. Don't you know that it was almost as if those stones, you couldn't see Jericho, but through the stones of remembrance. I believe that's how God wants us to see all the fortresses of the enemy, all the power of the enemy, see it through the stones of remembrance. See it through what God has already done for us. You know, if you just look at the enemy's activity, and there's a lot right now, isn't there, going on? A lot of enemy activity, you will get so discouraged. But if you look at the enemy activity through the word of God, you know that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And all of a sudden, it fits. Everything fits into God's great prophetic plan. And we're all going to victory. We're all on the way to the promised land. And I believe that they set those stones up so that you could not see the fortress of Jericho without the stones being greater and larger in your viewpoint than Jericho. Now, God had something special planned to commemorate his work. Joshua set up the stones in the midst of the camp. And Joshua announced to the people that this was to be a forever memorial, that they were to bring their children here. They were to point it out to their children and to their children's children. And they were to answer the questions of the children and tell the story again and again of the crossing of the Jordan. In verses 21 through 24 of chapter 4, Joshua said, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. As the Lord your God did it to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over, that all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. In order to remember the greatness and the might of God. They were to have this visual reminder. They were to tell the story again and again and discuss the story. You see, it's not enough to simply have a visual reminder. I mean, sometimes we forget what that visual reminder is to remind us of. That's where we're at. I know that meant something at some point in my life. You know, have you ever had something that you kept? And you're like, why did I keep this? You know, does it belong to a bottle? Why did I keep this? What was I thinking when I kept this? I don't know if you do that. I do that. The only way to remember is to continue to tell the story. And the more we tell the story, the more we remember the story. But when we stop telling the story, we forget the details. And we forget what the story meant to us. One of the saddest losses for me was after my dad's stroke, when he couldn't remember certain stories he had told me. And I remember sitting at um, the table, eating dinner with him. We used to have dinner with him every single Friday night. And I said, Dad, remember when your father had had his nervous breakdown? And how he'd gone into that catatonic state. 
when my dad was 15. It was a story my dad had told me over and over again. And my dad looked at me and he said, no, no. And I said, you don't remember Prince Thunden? You don't remember that he drove a white Cadillac? You don't remember that he came to your house in Santa Ana and that he found you and searched you out? My dad said, no. I said, then I'll tell you this story. It's a good one. But there were so many things. You know, maybe you didn't catch on to it, but I did. That he could, he could no longer do. Remember how he used to do that great thing with the probability? Now cover the state of Texas two feet deep with, you know, silver dollars. Take a man, blindfold him, spin him around, fly him over the state of Texas, then push him out in a parachute. And the odds that he would find that one silver dollar marked is the odds that Jesus could complete eight prophecies and not be the son of God. Oh, well, let's do something bigger. You know, they say that an atom is the smallest component, but electrons are even more. And you could line up one trillion atoms in an inch, but let's spread all those electrons all the way to the sun. And he would go into this incredible statistics about the probability. And after his stroke, he would start to go there, but he couldn't remember. He couldn't call those figures that he had known. He couldn't recite the cremation of Sam McGee anymore. And I realized, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. But I was so glad that he told me this story. I was so glad that my youngest son had memorized the cremation of Sam McGee so we can still hear it on dark, cold, windy nights with hot chocolate. We need to keep telling this story. You know, we think we'll always be able to hear this story, but we won't. We need to keep telling the story, discuss the story, because discussing the t- story brings out the details. Have the children ask questions, and then you get names and you get details. And isn't it amazing the details the children remember? You left out. You know, my, my grandson Judah will say, Grandma, tell me the story about when my dad was a little boy and he broke the window. And it's all, uh, which window, honey? There were five. Which one? And if I forget a detail, Judah's like, Grandma, Grandma, you forgot the part where, you know, and I'm like, you're right. And they'll want to know what what face did he make? What was he wearing? (laughs) Like, oh, good question. But they ask these questions that make you have to remember, make you have to think, make you have to relive it and play it again in your mind and see it. And you know, These stories have become my grandchildren's heritage and their identity. They they love it. Also gives them a lot of grace. Like, oh, my dad was so bad. Yes. And you're so good. You're perfect. He wasn't, but you are. But as you explore what this story means, you see God's power over nature, God's involvement in our lives, God's desire to bring us into the promises. And these reminders would give the children a sense of identity. They could point to the stone and say, that's our stone. I think about this day and age when, you know, kids, children, you know what they're looking for? 
a sense of identity of who they are. That's why ancestry, DNA, is, is so popular, all these things. They're swabbing themselves and they're sending in the cotton swabs. Tell me who I am. Because scientists or the media is telling them, you can't trust your DNA or your cell. You're not really a, a, a girl or a boy just because of your X or Y chromosome. No, you can't know who you are. You have no identity. They're telling them they weren't created. They're not special. We have a greater identity theft than our credit cards being taken from us. Our children's very identity. We're not teaching them to accept who they are and know who they are by nature. To explore their their personalities and to know you were created and you are so special and you are so unique and there is no one like you. Your fingerprints are even special. That's who you are. You are God's child. You are God's creation. You are loved so much that God sent his son to die for you. No. What is the media telling our children? You are a piece of ooze. And it's not important where you came from. It's only important how you feel about where you came from. You can't be sure about anything in your environment. That's identity theft. That's identity theft. And so our children are seeking to find it in their sexuality, in their sexual desires. They're trying to find it in their peers. Who am I? Tell me who I am. They're trying to find it in personality quizzes. They're trying to find it on television. Well, I'm really like this star. I'm like this movie star. Or I'm like this character in this movie. Who? Who? Who is defining our children? How are they finding their identity? If we're not telling them this story, if we're not giving them visual reminders, who's going to tell them who they are? How are they going to find out who they are? That's why we need to point to the cross. Here's the visual reminder of who you are. You are the loved one by God. You are the created one that was lost at the fall. That God loves so much that he sent his only begotten son to pay the penalty so that you could be everything God made you to be, so you could be restored, so you could find out. You know, Christianity is really a self-discovery. It's your true self that comes to life, the self that is uncorrupted by sin, and it moves you into all the promises. It's identity. They could point to that stone and say, that's our tribe. That's the one that old Elias pulled out. And do you like the shape of it? You could point to that and say, that's your stone. When I was eight years old, we took a family vacation. Well, it was just my sister and I and my parents. We went up to Santa Barbara in a motorhome. And my dad took me to every place that he went to as a child. It was so fun. There was a, uh, there was a restaurant that was on Milpas. And he took me there. And he said, see this place? It had the best tamales when I was a kid. I would come over and he took me where his grandma's li- grandma lived, showed me his grandma's house, and then took me to the place that used to have the best tamales. It was now a Mediterranean place. 
And he said, well, the Mexican place got closed down when they found all the cat skins in the rubbish bins behind the place. He said, you know, that meat was so tender and so tasty, though. <laughs> he took me to the Santa Barbara mission where um, an uncle twice removed that had been married to one of his cousins had a plaque there. And he told me the story of this man, um, which is written in the book, The Island of the Blue Dolphin. He took me to the graveyard right off of Camarillo, and he took me to my great-grandmother, Lois Daisy Kent's gravestone. That said, Jesus never fails. He took me all over Santa Barbara, met some of his cousins that I didn't know. We stopped at all these houses. And I got a sense of who I was. You know who I am? I'm Chuck Smith's daughter, and I'm so proud of it. I am so blessed, and I know who I am. And he told me this story of how his mom got saved, and how his grandma got saved, and how his dad got saved. It was such an amazing journey, and I still remember it to this day. Santa Barbara is one of my favorite places to go. I went my first year of college there, and I just go there, and I feel like I belong there. There's just something so special. I know who I am. And I grew up knowing who I am. I am not a partier. I am not a drug guy. I am not a drinker. This is who I am. I'm of the heritage of Jesus Christ. I come from those that crazy man that got saved and followed my grandma in the Santa Barbara parade yelling, don't you dare look at her. Don't you look at her. And that was my grandma Maude that was on one of those floats. And my grandpa was honking his horn and yelling at people not to look at her because she was taken. That's who I am. We, we need to tell our children who they are, to point to these stones of remembrance and say, this is who you are, and this is the heritage of faith. This is how I found Jesus. I was just sitting with my son, Braden, and I was kind of telling him my personal testimony. He's 26. I never realized I hadn't really told it to him. And he, he, we're eating hamburgers because that's what we do together. That's our bonding. Brian and he do coffee. He and I do hamburgers. And he set his hamburger down, and he said, Mom, you never told me this. I'm like, are you kidding? I never told you that? It's because you're the last child. I told the other three. <laughs> I said, no, I never knew. And he said, no, I understand my struggles. Mom, you and I, we had the same struggles. And I said, yes, but you came through it just like God brought me through it. So Jesus came to you, Brayden, and he brought you through it. There would be purpose. There was purpose as as they looked at those stones. They would know this is the call on my life. Even as my relatives, they came out of, of the wilderness to come into all the promises of God. So my purpose is to walk in all the promises of God, to inherit and walk in those promises. They would be strengthened in faith. Because they would know God is with us. God parted the mighty rivers to bring us into his promises. He wouldn't let anything keep my family knowing I would come from the promises of God. 
and they would know that what God promises he does, his word is reliable and absolute. It would be a guarantee and an assurance of the rest of the promises because crossing the Jordan was not the promise. It was just the initiation into the promises. It was what had been blocking the promises, but God dealt with the Jordan that Israel might step into all the promises. And it was an assurance that God would bring them into everything. He who began a good work in you will complete it. Assurance that God wanted them to have the promises and an assurance that their enemies would be defeated and they would indeed inherit every promise of God. Now, you might not be on a continual camping trip, okay? And you not, might not be distracted by packing and unpacking or new territory or little children or crowds or enemies or fortresses or food collection and preparation. Perhaps you're a microwaver. But you've got other distractions that jeopardize your blessings, your faith, your spiritual progress in God's promises. And you also need safeguards to keep you from forgetting who God is and what he has already done for you and how he is for you. He is for you. God gives us visual reminders. Sometimes they're in the form of people. I know I can look at my daughters and think about how God brought those two prodigals back to Jesus. My daughters are living testimonies to me. They are visuals, and there's never time that I'm with those two girls that I don't marvel at how great my God is. I love those girls so much, and they just tell me about God's goodness and God's faithfulness. Maybe it's scripture mugs. I have so many scripture mugs. I love mugs that, that have a scripture and you know, there are times that I need be still and know that I am God mug. So I have three, which is that scripture. And then there are the times that I need the joy of the Lord is my strength. I need that one. And, and there are other times that I, I need love one another for love is of God. And, and I have my scripture mugs and each of my scripture mugs I grabbed on purpose at a certain time in my life. And they remind me, I need pictures. I have pictures of my house, uh, pictures in my house. And I can remember the date and the place and what was going on. And so I put those, those pictures up so I can remember. I have notations in my Bible. I have dates and um, secret codes that I forgot what they mean. But they're in there. And I know that God worked. I just... Don't remember who they were and what I needed at the time, but I know God worked. But I have that in my Bible, these dates. And sometimes I actually have real names. There are verbal reminders that God gives us. So there's visuals, but there's verbals. And the verbal reminder is that we need to hear the story again and again. That's why we do church. That's why we're here today. Because we need to hear the story again and again. That's why we have K-Wave. Because we need to hear these stories again and again. But we also need to tell the story. We need to tell the story of Jesus to the children and the children's children. And to our friends and to other people. We need to keep telling the story our testimony, how we got saved, what God has done. 
We need to tell grandchildren and neighbors and friends and acquaintances. Um, I stayed home from the glow to pass out candy because usually I get so many trick-or-treaters. I got nine, nine trick-or-treaters. I had so much candy. I gave it to the pastors. Pastors will eat anything extra because I bought three bags. And I was telling the kids, these kids came, and I have tracks that I give out. I put the tracks on the edge of the bowl, and I fill the bowl with candy. And these kids are coming in. You know, it's 8.30 now, and, you know, I, I've got a feeling these are my last two. And, you know, Batman and uh, Princess Sophia, I'm pretty sure this is the end. And I said to them, take as much as you want. You the whole bowl even. I'll empty it into your sacks. And... The little boy looks up at me and goes, I remember you. And I remember this house. And he goes, can I have some of these little books around the edge? I said, as many as you need. These are my tracks. I've got a color book. I've got facts on animals. And they all have this story of Jesus. And he's going, I love this house. And I said, and this house loves you, Batman. You know? But I thought, wow. Thank you, Jesus, that they remember this house, the house where the woman is trying to get rid of all the extra candy. We need to tell this story to acquaintances, those who come to our door. We need vocal reminders, not just verbal, but vocal. We need to sing the story. When the children of Israel crossed the Red Sea, we're told that Moses began to sing a song that the people of Israel began to sing. And Miriam picked up a tambourine, and she even put a dance to it. You know, the Lord be glorified, for the horse and rider have fallen into the sea. And it was a song that Israel continued to sing during their wilderness, that they would remember the Red Sea and never forget. There was another song that when they would camp and they would remember the rock, they would sing, spring up, O well. And we sing, spring up, oh well, within my soul. And they would sing that song, spring up, oh well, remembering how God would provide the water. Years ago, my oldest son, Char, when he was five, there was a woman and she had this ministry where she would write scripture songs and she would teach them to the children. So Char, being five and just learning to read, he had seen a plaque that said, go to the ant thou sluggard, consider his ways and be wise. And he wrote his first song. Go to the ant thou sluggard, remember his ways and be wise. Have he no God, oh, 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 ruler. You know, and it had more songs. So I was like, we would tell him, Char, sing your song, sing your song. You know, sing it for grandma and grandpa, sing it for the other grandma and grandpa. You know, sing it for the neighbors, sing it for our friends. And I remember on one of those occasions, he goes, do you want the dance too? <laughs> We're like, wow, we didn't realize there was a dance with it. Yes, bring on the dance. And you know, he would do it over and over again. And it was the cutest thing. And I'll tell you, that is my most energetic, dutiful kid. And I think that go to the anthel fluggard continues to stay with him even to this day. So we can commemorate the time with song. When we were in Cyprus, I was sitting with all these missionaries, and their life is hard. And one of the women I sat with, she had lost her husband a few years ago, and he had just been a hero on the mission field. And if you were married to him, you had no fear because he would just take care of everything. 
And there was a girl who had lost her father and there were people who were working in Muslim countries. There were people that I was speaking with who had had their lives threatened and, and had some really big threats that they were returning to. And I'm sitting with this group of, of women and we're talking about building the house of God and we're having kind of this discussion. And we started just talking about how much the Lord loves us and how much, how it's often in the dead of night that he reminds us that he's pleased with us and that we're never alone. And I'm like, that sounds like a song. And this girl said, can we just sing it? And I looked at her and I remembered that her father just died a few years ago. And she starts it, you're a good, good father. That's who you are. And it just, when we were singing it this morning, it became a reminder of sitting at that table with those precious missionaries, those people who have given up safety, have given up security, bank accounts, houses, to go and reach the unreachable with the story, with the story. And as we were singing, I began to pray for them. And that became a vocal reminder of that time that we sat at that table and we sang. Isn't it crazy? The, the memories a song will evoke. We need to rejoice in the story. Perhaps for you personally, you need to go back to Gilgal and find that memorial to look at that memorial and just simply remember and ponder what God has done for you. And maybe tell yourself this story. Tell yourself your story. David is saying, oh, my soul. You know, forget not my soul. All his benefits towards you. Why are you cast down, oh, my soul? Consider God. We have to preach to ourselves sometimes, don't we? We have to tell ourselves the story. We have to tell ourselves the story of our life and all that God has done. And then we need to tell others this story. And in so doing, we will regain the blessings. Those blessings maybe that we've lost or we're just, they're in our house, but we can't find them. We'll find them again. We'll strengthen our faith. We'll remember who our God is and all that he's done for us. And our faith will be strengthened. And we will assure our spiritual success and progress. We will then be able to go forward into all that God has for us. It's so important that we remember. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you want to pepper our lives with remembrances. Lord, you want to just have our house filled with conversation pieces that remind us, remind us that you love us, that you are for us, that you have dealt with everything that kept us from the promises that you had for us. And that this is a guarantee that you will bring us into all the promises, that they will all be fulfilled. Lord, I pray 
that you would jog our memories, that you would make us women that tell the story, that point to the story, that answer the questions, that remember the details, that, Lord, we might not only be strengthened in our own faith, but we might strengthen the faith of others, that we might um, give a heritage and an identity to tell this next generation who they are. So, Lord, we ask this by the power of Jesus Christ that has been invested in each one of us, that this would be done in Jesus' name.